The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a, he's a perfect or mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. And look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the, the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue. It's a very small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. So how great a forest is set aflame by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The entire body, it defiles the entire body by what it says when the heart is filled with what it shouldn't be filled with. And it sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. The Bible is real clear that the primary attacks of Satan have to do with what he plants in your thought life about what you should say in a given situation. And he wants to defile you. He says, for every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. In other words, every kind of animal there is has been tamed. And then he says, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless evil and full of deadly poison. You ever get any of that? You ever have uh, somebody speak to you in a way and it felt like that poisoned your mind? Or maybe their mind was poisoned first, huh? With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. You do realize that every human being you ever meet was made in the image of God. They're a descendant of the one who was made in God's image, and every descendant of Adam is not only cursed, and not only has he, does he have sin, but he has been made in the, in the image and likeness of God. And so to bless God and then curse men is totally inconsistent. He says, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above from God, but is earthy, natural, demonic. The word natural is soulish. That's a description of us before we came to faith in Christ and were born again. We were soulish people. In other words, it wasn't until we experienced a new birth that we came alive and we were actually equipped to have a relationship with the living God. You know, we, are, we live under the new covenant. In the old covenant, 
there was kind of linearity. You, you, if you did certain things, the results would be this. And so you carefully made sure you did all those things you were supposed to so that you could get this result. But in the New Covenant, and we usually failed. We tried, but we always failed. But in the New Covenant, it's a covenant that is the promise of encounter with God. It's a promise that we can come into the presence of God. This is tough because uh, what happens to us, we want, we want, an, we want to uh, encounter God, we want to experience God, but we don't, even though God has already said, I've given this to you, take advantage of it. But instead what we do is we begin to pray to this God and we think, ah, he's a million miles away. He certainly wouldn't hear me. I can't even put a sentence together when I talk to him. It just seems like my mind goes crazy. But he has given us this. We don't have to earn it. This is something people don't know, that you can be as carnal as, a, as an ox, as my friend used to say. That is, you can be in a situation, in a condition that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 3, that you're fleshy. You're, you don't have your mind on the living God. But you can be in that condition and turn to the living God and enter into his presence. It's amazing. But you have to do it by faith, and it's faith in the promise of God. When I was young, real young, when I was in my teenage years, I thought I was a believer, and I thought the way I was supposed to confess was to talk to God in such a way that he knew that I knew I was a horrible, wretched, no-good sinner. And I wanted him to feel sorry for me. And he doesn't, because he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. He's given us this right. We can enter into the presence of God. We can commune with him. We can encounter him. But what we're looking for is three steps. We want to, we three or four steps. We love those kind of formulas. If you do this and this and this and this, then you'll get this. And God says, just come. Just come into my presence. Just address me as your father. And speak to me in faith. He goes on, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. That's demonic, satanic kind of wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, that is the characteristics of the flesh. That is what we are apart from Christ. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every, in every, every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure. This is God's wisdom. God's wisdom is pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. You know what mercy is? It's when you treat a person based upon what their need is, not what they deserve. It's so hard for us to believe that. God wants us to manifest mercy to people. And then he says, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
Now, you notice what he's done here. He's, I think it's in the little handout you have if you have a bulletin. Although there's some kind of mystery going on. We, have, we bring bulletins, and there's about 99% of them are still here. And they're, somehow they're not getting into your hands. And it's really an important document. <laughs> Tells you where the next meal is. What he does in the first two verses, he warns them. It's a very strange way to begin this talk about the tongue. But he says, let not many of you become teachers. Now, I think most of us know, because we've talked about it so much, that every believer has a spiritual gift. Paul mentions 20 gifts. He's a detail man. So he gives 20 gifts. Now, where you find out about gifts is in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And here's a funny thing is the Apostle Paul lists 20 gifts. And he kind of explains what they are and, and how they relate to one another. The Apostle Peter, who is always much simpler than Paul, now that I've told you that, you'll want to read Peter instead of Paul. He, because he makes things so simple. And this is what he says. You either have a speaking gift or a serving gift. And he says that your gift is in order that for you to dispense the grace of God into other people's lives. That's, that's 1 Peter chapter 4. You have a gift. And your gift is either a gift that where you use your tongue, you speak, you know, when the Bible talks about the word, it's usually talking about the proclamation of the word, someone speaking the word, giving a report or whatever, giving a sermon about the good news about Jesus Christ. When people made deals, you buy property or somebody loans you money, you didn't, you didn't write out a document and take it to a notary public. A man says, I promise you. And then he shakes your hand. He promises to do this. We are so used to um, writing out documents, signing documents, and um, making sure it's all legal. But when the Bible talks about the word, it's talking primarily about the spoken word. I think uh, we should, we should be, uh, most of us should be aware of this, that over 70% of the world's population are illiterate. So the way they communicate, the way they learn things is by speaking and hearing speech. Hearing people speaking about something. The early disciples, in, in after the outpouring of the Spirit, if you go and look at Acts chapter 2 and what follows there, these believers, it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They didn't hand out mimeograph. They didn't hand out Xerox copies of their speech. There was none. And people didn't own Bibles. There were scrolls, but they were, they were kept by the officials in Jerusalem. It was their job, scribes and priests. But people didn't have a personal Bible. The fact that you have a Bible that you can carry around, or maybe it's on your watch or something, but that Bible, the early Christian didn't have that. When they continued in the apostles' doctrine, what they were doing was talking to each other. They had heard the apostles teach, and so they shared with each other. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? That's how it got passed on. And parents would talk to their children. 
That's a crazy idea, isn't it? <laughs> they would actually talk to them and speak to them and speak about Jesus. And so this, the tongue was so incredibly important because most of you don't have to listen to anybody talk. You can go online and read articles. There are so many articles online about the Bible and about Christianity and about walking in the Spirit and all this that you would never need to listen to a person's voice. But that's God's design. And if you went to the mission field, you would have to learn how to do it because most people in the world can't read. A couple we had here not long ago that are in a West African country, they, they have a written form of their language, but nobody can read. I say nobody. The great, great majority can't read. So to translate it into their language is not the answer in their case. They need to hear it spoken in a way that they can understand. And as they, heard it, as they hear it spoken, then they share it with each other. That's why you remember stuff. I had a teacher, my senior year in college, I had a teacher who changed my life. His name was Dave Miller, and, and uh, he was so amazing. I could remember everything he said. I, I could talk to people about what he said. I just couldn't forget it. It was mind-boggling. It's the first time I sat under a guy who really knew how to teach the Bible in a way that hit home to the heart. He was clear and accurate and relevant. And so the stuff that he said, I couldn't forget. Well, this is, this is the condition of the people in the first century. They don't have a Bible they can carry around. Those scrolls, if you've ever seen the scroll, a copy of the scroll, um, they're huge. And they were only used in the synagogue service, only by those who, could, who were officially assigned the, the assignment to read the scrolls. That is the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And so he says to them and warns them, let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing that as such you will incur stricter judgment because God holds us accountable in teaching his word. And so we have to be clear. Now we have a great advantage because I have a Bible program on my computer that has about 10 different translations as well as a Greek New Testament and a Hebrew Old Testament. And not only that, this is the greatest part about it. You put your cursor on top of the Greek word or the Hebrew word, and down, in, down below, it tells you what it means. And it gives you a definition. And then I have commentaries in it that I can put right parallel with the text, and I can have some brilliant guy like D.A. Carson tell you what it means. But you don't spend much time doing that. You spend time reading the Word of God. Because the biggest thing is you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's what the early Christians had. They had the Holy Spirit living in them. And he would quicken their minds and help them to understand because he was filling their heart. You remember, let me just show you something. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, just a second. Ephesians 5. This is a real familiar verse. I could just quote it, but I want you to look at something. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 <clears throat> In verse 17, he says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, which means squandering. That's squandering your life to find the solution in getting filled with wine. That's a dissipation of your life. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, that, it's not that difficult to understand what spirit filling means. It does some, have something to do with your tongue, but it's not speaking in tongues, as they say. It means that your tongue comes under the control of a heart that's being filled by the Holy Spirit. And notice what happens in the next verses. He says, this is what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. So you start speaking to one another, and then you start speaking to God, giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, God, even the Father, and be subject to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. See, the, the, when we're, whatever is controlling our heart is filling our mouth. The tongue speaks out of that which fills the heart. We hear that several times in the New Testament. Jesus says it. And he's telling the Pharisees that because they're saying horrible things about him and to him. And he says that what's happening is that something's filling their heart that's causing them to, to speak this way. We all know the story of Ananias and Sapphira in uh, Acts 5, where Ananias, like there had been many others, like Barnabas was the first, sold a piece of property and gave all the money to the apostles to meet the needs of the people. Because there were people there from all over the world, and they heard the gospel, and they believed on Christ, and they decided to stay there and see what God was going to do next. And so these people were being provided for by Christians. And some of them, like Barnabas, sold his land and gave all the money to the apostles so they would have the resources to meet these people's needs. But Ananias and his wife decided they wanted the praise and the glory, but they didn't want to give up what they owned. And so they claimed that they, were, they sold their property and they were giving all the money to the apostles, but in fact, they were lying. And this is what Peter says to them. Why have, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart, heart and, and lie to the Holy Spirit? Why would you allow Satan to fill your heart? Now, being filled with the Spirit means you come under his influence. You live under the influence of Jesus Christ, and you experience his empowerment to do that when you walk in the Spirit, when you're Spirit-filled. And um, when you're filled by Satan, you lie through your teeth because you want to look good. Whereas when you're being filled with the Spirit, out of your mouth comes the product of the Holy Spirit. Your tongue speaks what fills the heart. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Your tongue speaks what fills the heart. You've had this experience, I bet, just like me, you're driving down the road, somebody does something weird, and you get angry, and you start saying things to him which he can't hear. Thank goodness. But what's happening is your heart's filled with anger. And so you say things that manifest this anger, because our, our tongues are used in this way, that we speak what fills the heart. And the problem is, is the nature of the tongue when it's not controlled by a heart filled with the Holy Spirit. In verses 3 through 6, he says, 
Wow, it's, it's so small, and yet it's so powerful. This is how he puts it. If you put bits in the, mount, the horse, in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. You, you, you actually control their whole body by simply putting a bit in their mouth. We had a horse. My daughter had a horse. My youngest daughter had a horse who raced barrels with, and uh, a lady in the church actually had given it to She's with the Lord now, but she gave my daughter this horse. It was a descendant of a Seabiscuit, but it was an appendix, which is a, a quarter horse that has some thoroughbred in it. This horse was big and powerful. I was afraid to ride him, to be honest, and the saddle was too small. So it really feels scary if you sit on a horse and the saddle's too small, and you, can, you don't know if you're just going to fall off of your own imbalance or whatever. But anyway, we had some friends come over to visit us, and they had a new son-in-law. And this new son-in-law was from back in the Midwest, and he wanted to ride the horse. I assumed he knew what he was doing. He got on the horse, and he started kind of trotting him around the arena. And then he got to one end, and that horse bolted and took off for, towards us. Just like he would if he was racing, if my daughter was racing barrels. You know, to go from one to the other and all that. Well, he starts running at us. We're all standing outside the arena, and he's coming right at us, full speed. And this guy was just sitting there, hanging on. He's hanging on to the horn. He's not using the bridle or anything. So when he got back, I said, uh, how long has it been since you rode a horse? He goes, I've never ridden a horse. I go, you're kidding me. No wonder he didn't know that the way you slow a horse down is by the, the bridle and the bit in his mouth. He didn't do anything. And thank goodness, just the grace of God, his life was spared. And our life was spared. Um, but that's the way the tongue is. It's so small, at least in most cases, it's so small, but it can do such big things. It's powerful. You know how to, to spread a, 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 some gossip around a group like this? And you just you simply talk to somebody and you just maybe whisper a little bit like you don't want anybody to hear it. And then it starts going from person to person to person to person. The, the tongue is amazing. The power it has. It's, he said it's like a flame in a forest. It sets, it sets it on fire and it spreads everywhere. It seems untamable. Verses 7 through 12 says, For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and have been tamed by the human race. We've tamed all kinds of animals. But you can't tame the tongue. Well, then the question arises, of course, in verses 13 through 16, well, then who can tame the tongue? Well, I can tell you what won't tame the tongue is a carnal person. Carnal is a word that Paul uses. It's translated carnal. It's actually fleshy. But it's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, first few verses. And he says, but you're not, you are not walking in the Spirit. You're fleshy. You, your heart isn't being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so what comes out of it is revealing what's really controlling your heart. It's what was controlling Ananias' heart. So what I need is I need to find out how I can live in such a way that I know how to submit my heart to the control of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's this, and notice in verses 17 and 18, he says, the only solution is wisdom from above. Wisdom from above is God's wisdom manifest. How do we, how do we uh, control the tongue? By understanding the wisdom of God. Now, wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is knowing the facts. Wisdom is knowing how to apply them to life. And so we need God's wisdom, and the only way we can get God's wisdom is if we are abiding in Christ and he's controlling our heart through the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is controlling my mouth, then I can speak words that build up instead of tear down. You know the difference, right? You've said words before that tear down. You've said things to people, at least some of you have, maybe not everybody, but you've said things to people that just rip them apart. And then you've also had those times when the Holy Spirit was controlling your heart, which you spoke words that build up. And uh, so this, this solution, wisdom from above, is God at work. And here's some examples of wisdom from above. I want you to turn with me to uh, Matthew 15, if you would, Matthew 15, and notice what happens here. What's going on in the first two verses, there's a, the Pharisees have a question, verses 1 and 2. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Notice, why, it's not asking... Why do your disciples disobey the Bible? They were saying, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? When I was reading this the other day, I realized that I grew up in a church where uh, all the rules for living, everything that has to do with it, were not the scriptures, they were the word of the elders, the patriarchs in that church, in that denomination. But it's the word of God that our hearts have to care for. But here he says, he says, um, uh, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And he tells them what tradition he's talking about. He says, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. You think, well, that's, that's just good hygiene. That's why the elders said this. No, it's not. This was a tradition. This was a tradition that they imposed upon the people, that they ceremonially wash their hands so that they will be not an affront to God. It's, it's like one of those things under the law that you do this in order to get this. And he answered them. This is his answer. Verse 11. Verses 3 through 11, I'm sorry. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? In other words, you're, you, you are willing to break God's word in order to keep the, the, the elders' traditions, which they have passed down and said, this is what we ought to do. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil or father or mother is to be put to death. Wow, that's severe, isn't it? Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of his father or mother is to be put to death. But then he says, but you say this. Now get this. What would happen is, as, as, your, as your folks grew older, they were old as me, you were supposed to take care of them. 
<laughs> and, and, uh, but this is what happened. He says, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. The word in, is, if you remember reading the King James, it's the word Corbin. Corbin is the name of the school I went to, a college. It used to be called First, uh, Western Baptist College. Now it's called Corbin. Because the word Corbin means gift. But here's what this little thing was. The, the, the elders told him this is a tradition. If you don't want to give your fortune to your parents, all you have to do is say, Corbin, I've already dedicated it to the Lord. I don't want to help you because I want to give all my that I have to the Lord. And Jesus said, I, I'm not going to give anything new that would help you because I've given it to the Lord. He's not to honor the father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. I'm not talking to you, but Jesus was saying to them, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They were lying through their teeth. That's what he's saying. They were saying things with their tongue that they didn't mean. In Luke 6.45 it says, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For this mouth speaks from, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Here's the key, the condition of the heart. You see, people that use their mouth to condemn and tear down, they don't need speech therapy. They need sanctification. They need their heart to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 12, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. You see, the, the Pharisees were always stepping up and condemning Jesus and slandering Jesus. And Jesus is telling them, the reason you do this is because your heart is controlled, is filled with evil, and your mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. The only way the tongue can be tamed is by bringing the heart under the control of the Holy Spirit. It is true that you can tell if a person's spirit-filled by what comes out of their mouth. Now, the Bible doesn't teach, the Bible doesn't teach this, that when, you, when you're filled with the Spirit, you speak in other tongues. I, I remember in a camp meeting when I was growing up in a Pentecostal church, a guy at the speaker of the camp meeting said, young people, I want you to know something. Our problem is not the unknown tongue. Our problem is the known tongue. It's the things that we say that people can understand that's what the problem is, because whatever fills the heart controls the tongue. So the way the tongue becomes Satan's weapon is when the heart is filled by Satan and his desires. And the way the tongue becomes the implement of the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit fills our heart. In, in Luke 6.45, when, what he's talking about there is exactly what we ought to be aware of. 
that this is, this is very fresh truth to me because I've been caught several times by my wife that my speech proved that my heart wasn't being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was being filled with something else. Now, this, it isn't that bad. But, <laughs> but when I get loud and insistent with people on the phone because I want to get something straightened out and so I'm going to force them to do what I want them to do, she's, she had the audacity to tell me that doesn't sound like the way a Christian should talk. And then she said the ultimate insult, do you ever listen to your sermons? <clears throat> So here's how you find out the condition of your heart. In fact, it's really funny. In one, one text in Matthew, it says, what fills a heart, those words that proceed out of the heart reveal what's controlling the heart. But the word proceed out means an unguarded word. They escape. You mean to hold them in, but they escape. And those words reveal what's controlling your heart. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? If we actually know this and we listen for it and we realize, wow, you're really having a hard time being filled with the Spirit today, aren't you? Because your mouth is being controlled by something else. Here's an example. Acts 5.3, when Peter says to Ananias, this is what he said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? Why has Satan controlled your heart so that you tell a lie to, so you can look good? So you can look like a very spirit-filled person when in reality you're as carnal as that post. I mean, you've got no, no manifestation of the life of Christ flowing through you at all. You want to know what's filling your heart? What's influencing it? That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It means to be living under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what's really controlling your heart, pay attention to what you're saying. Listen. Or marry a woman who knows how to listen to what you say. And they can actually tell what's controlling your heart. So God, I, I pray for us as a people that we will become a people that manifest the glory of Christ in this community, in the community that you live in, wherever that is. I know some of you live in other communities, but that people can, can hear us speak and watch us live and know a little bit more about who God is. The, the Bible warns women, widows, not to live in such a way that would cause God to be blasphemed. They're not the only ones who are tempted by that. All of us are. This just happened to be a text where he was talking to widows and how they should live. The way you and I should live is when people hear us talk, they can tell what's controlling our heart. And that we live our lives under the control of the Holy Spirit, being spirit-filled. Will you get the gift of tongues? you'll get the gift of a tongue that's under the control of the Spirit. So instead of saying, you idiot, 
you stupid person, you would begin to tell them about the love of God and manifest the love of God to them. And so what we, as a, a group of people, as a congregation, as a local church, an outpost of the kingdom of God, God has called us to be a lampstand. That's the term he uses, that we are a lampstand. And he wants us to live in such a way that they can see the life of Christ being manifested in our daily lives, especially when we unguarded words are coming out of our mouth. Sometimes you'll see a person who has such self-control, it seems that's what you think it is, just self-control. They, they never, uh, they never uh, let those words escape their heart that will condemn and defile because they're living under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that in, in Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, it immediately starts talking about how you talk. That's how you can see, but it's how you talk that, and people understand what you're saying. See, if we just started all speaking in gibberish that nobody could understand, there's no way you could tell who was, who, who was controlling their heart, who was filling their heart. But when you speak a language we know and understand and we hear what you're saying, we can tell if your heart is being controlled by the Holy Spirit or Satan. Your, your tongue is either going to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit or it's going to be a, a weapon of Satan. In, uh, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it talks about grieving the Spirit. But maybe you've never noticed, but in that context, the thing that was grieving the Spirit was the kind of stuff that was coming out of their mouths to each other. We can speak in a way that grieves the Spirit. And this is the key of when Paul says this, when he writes this, he says, he's the, he's the one who has sealed us until the day of redemption. He sealed you, believer, until the day of redemption. So if I get angry with you and I start spewing venom on you, the Spirit's grieved because I'm speaking against one whom he's sealed in Christ for the day of redemption. And so we have a huge responsibility. That's why every study they've ever done, the, the biggest thing that affects the people's, uh, the influence of a local church is the way we treat each other. A church that is characterized by love for one another and manifests love, love that doesn't stay silent, that is a church that makes people, I started to say believe, but to actually understand who Christ is. And I know it's hard because that, you know, using language that tears down and rips up is so effective, isn't it? If you want to get somebody to back off, they're trying to put too much pressure on you, and then use a little of that language, well, you, you've caused them to pull back and leave you alone, and you cause the Holy Spirit to grieve. Because you, he's given you this mouth. We are, we are uh, there's a book written by uh, Paul Tripp called uh, Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer. That's how he is defining Christians. We are instruments 
in the hands of the Redeemer. And I'm sure you all know that Jesus is alive and at work in this world. And we are instruments that he uses. One of the things, I think I wrote this down on one of these sheets here. Uh, I love this. It's uh, in the, on the book, the book, People in Need, uh, if, Instruments of the, in the Redeemer's Hands. It has a subtitle. Here's a subtitle. People in Need of Change Helping People in Need of Change. You get it? It's okay to be in need of change, and God can still use you an instrument in his hands to bless others, to help others. In fact, sometimes I'm almost an expert in the kind of sin you fall into because I've gone through it. And so I can be honest with you and say, you know, that's horrible what you just did. And I especially understand it because I've done that so many times. And finally, God got my attention, and he opened my eyes and my ears and let me understand what was going on. See, being filled with the Spirit isn't an option. It's, like, it's not like, you know, there's all the regular believers, and then there are the Spirit-filled believers. Spirit-filling is living under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to, imp, uh, he wants to impact you. He wants to affect you. He wants to bring you under his influence and give you the power you need to obey what he is trying to produce in your life. Um, I, it seems to me, I don't know if this is just my imagination, but it seems to me that it's really hard for Christians to talk to each other seriously about the things of God. For so many, it's just so hard. I think some people feel inadequate. They might say something that the other person is going to say, wow, you don't know anything, do you? No. We, we are all in the same ship. We're in the same situation. We are people that have received so much. For example, under the new covenant, you have received as a promise that you can enter into the presence of God and he will hear you. And you can actually experience God in the relationship with God. You can pray to one that you have absolute confidence in. That he, not only that he can do these things, but that he actually cares about you. And he wants to meet your needs. Instead, what happens to us a lot of times is we think that what I really need to know is how can I twist God's arm? Because I just get the feeling he doesn't want to do for me what I ask him. And you know where that feeling comes from? It, it comes from Satan. He doesn't want you to believe that God is who he is. But God wants you to believe the truth of his promises to you. you. That's why you need to be spending time in his word to hear his voice and then spending time in prayer to respond to him, to actually give him a response because he's the closest relative you have. He's your father. That's what, that's what happened when you got saved. You became a child of God, and he is your father. And he wants you to treat him like a father. He wants you to believe what he has told you in his word, that he loves you and he has received you, and you are worth a son to him. He was willing to give his son to purchase you and to bring you into the family. And he wants you to live like it, and he wants you to believe it. That's when you will live by it. When you actually believe this, when this is an ongoing understanding of who you are and who God is. He's not a stranger. 
He's not somebody who doesn't know your voice. He knows your face. You've seen that Apple ad where they, this new edition of uh, the iPhone, it, you, you, you look at it, it sees your face and it opens. And they got this commercial. This girl does this and then she goes outside and everywhere she goes, whatever she looks at, it opens up. She looks at her trunk, her trunk opens up. She look at some guy with, a, with handcuffs on, the handcuffs fall off. See, it's face recognition. Let me tell you something. This isn't artificial intelligence. This is God who knows you. He's quite familiar with you. And you are dear to his heart. And you might think, nobody is, I'm not near to anybody's heart. Oh, yes, you are. You're near to God's heart. He actually loves you. And he wants you to live under the influence of the one who knows him perfectly. That is the Holy Spirit. So I want to pray for you. Will you stand with me? Do we have another song? Okay. Let me, let me pray, and then we're going to sing one last song. Our Father, thank you so much for giving us life and relationship with you. Thank you, Father, for giving us all these instructions about how we can live our lives in your presence. And we can live out of a relationship with you that we know that you love us. You are prejudiced towards us. And how we thank you for that, Father. And so we pray that the Spirit of God would speak to all of our hearts right now. And that we would start living like ambassadors of Christ and sons and daughters of God. We thank you so much, Father, for all that you have done, so much beyond us, but we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.